This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at Ravinia.org. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is The Morning Shift. Poet and activist Kevin Koval moved to Wicker Park in the 90s. This was back when the neighborhood was something of a hub for emerging artists, musicians, and writers. But by the 2000s, most of those artists had been replaced by higher-income gentrifiers. In Koval's new book, Everything Must Go, The Life and Death of an American Neighborhood, he celebrates the Wicker Park he knew as a young artist and examines the evolution of a gentrifying neighborhood and city. Yeah, it was a kind of uh, perfect bohemia. You know, I I dreamt of it as a kid in some ways, a kind of community that was radically open and accepting and diverse, and you could explore any idea you had about what you wanted to make. And there was an environment and a culture around you that was encouraging of that kind of experimentation and creation, and certainly different than anything I really grew up with. And so it was an opportunity for me as a very young man and as a very young artist to get kind of the thumbs up to go ahead and and try to experiment and try my hand at becoming an artist. Did you feel an instant um, sense of place when you went there or did you have to carve that out for yourself? You know, I was familiar with the neighborhood a little bit. Your grandfather. My grandfather Mm -hmm. is from the neighborhood. And then I also started to come to parties in the neighborhood in high school. But once I kind of moved back into the neighborhood uh, at the, you know, first half of the 90s you had to kind of make your way but it was also very easy to make your way and kind of meet people because there was such a public life on the street and so pretty immediately I began to meet people just walking down Milwaukee Avenue and then I would go to places like Urbis Orbis or Earwax and you know once you sat around for a day or two inevitably somebody would be like yo what's up you know and or 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 I would have to ask somebody for something and then that's how I made my foray into building a community around me and really a community I was invited into a community that was you know ongoing and already made as I mentioned your grandfather uh, also lived in, in Wicker Park years before you got there when you sort of compare notes about the Wicker Park he knew and the Wicker Park you knew. Well, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't even know him. He passed oh. before I was born, so I had to get it uh, secondhand through my aunt, Joyce Sloan, uh, who told me one day when we were having uh, breakfast out on Division Street, she's like, you know, your grandfather grew up right here, and this was when I was a teenager. I'm like, yo, I know, you knew that, but I didn't know that. And then so, so she took me to his spot at 1750 West Haddon and then you know, just started to tell me all these stories. Of course, when he moved in, it was a primarily Irish neighborhood. He actually changed his middle name and went by Murphy as opposed to George Marcus Koval in order to essentially assimilate and pass in the neighborhood. It didn't work out. He <laughs> stayed getting beat up by oh, wow. some of the Irish street kids. But eventually, you know, all of his cousins came and it became the Ukrainian village after that. That's really interesting. I wonder if you feel... Um echoes of his experience in your own? 
I feel like I'm tethered to that block and I'm, I feel like I'm tethered to that community because the work I do with young Chicago authors, the youth arts organization is still in that neighborhood. I end up kind of even parking my car near, literally outside of his apartment. Almost every day I go to the office and I've been walking back and forth in front of his apartment knowingly, unknowingly for, you know, almost three decades now. And I think that my experience was was obviously very different from his, but I think that he kind of like, you know, scraped his knuckles to make a life in that space. And when I came back to the neighborhood, you know, there's an akin working ethos, I think, that, that I share with him, even unknowingly, you know, and just in some sort of ancestral DNA. Yeah. Well, the book paints this picture of Wicker Park at the height of this vibrant art scene, but you don't write about it or view it with just nostalgia or or through rose-colored lenses, you you write about these really difficult times you had in the neighborhood, too. Talk about that. Well, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I was young and and really trying to hold it together. And um, I also saw a lot of people around me go through it and go through it because of economy, because of addiction, uh, because of uh, the incursion of, of police, and also then because of the rapid process that I saw it transform the neighborhood in front of me and so as much as this is like me going down memory lane it's also trying to critically examine a process that I think we didn't necessarily know that we were a part of I mean at the time I don't even know if I had the language to say that this was gentrification Uh, it was later it was during the process where I'm like why are all the folks around me being being pushed out and removed from a place that they've been here sometimes for generations sometimes for uh, a few years but at some point the situation changed pretty drastically that's Kevin Koval. He's a poet, activist, and founder of Young Chicago Authors. His new book of poems, Everything Must Go, The Life and Death of an American Neighborhood, takes a look at the politicization and gentrification of Wicker Park in the 2000s and black and brown communities at large. The official book release party is tonight at 6 at the Chop Shop at 2033 West North Avenue. Your poems pay... Um, homage to people and places in Wicker Park, uh, many of whom are no longer around. You write about the tamale guy, you write about Mr. Rooster, and we get this very specific snapshot of these people. But you're also very conscious of your whiteness in Wicker Park. and, And I wonder how you grapple with the complexity of being the lens through which this neighborhood and the people who live there, um, that you're the lens through which that history is captured. Yeah, well, I, I try to tell my story and my perspective, but but what a gift, uh, whiteness being made visible to me in, 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 in this space and hip-hop cultural spaces that from a very young age, I was able to try to understand what the responsibility and what my skin meant in public space. And I think that we still wrestle with that, obviously. I mean, it's it's the tragic trope of the country that we as white people can't talk about whiteness and the effects and maintenance and chronic nature of white supremacy. And so I think being in the neighborhood at that time and being in a lot of the cultural spaces that I was in, that I maintain a space in, that whiteness is is named and that then I therefore have to wrestle with it, thank God, because otherwise I just, you know, pass through spaces without cognizance of my own, the specter of my skin. And, you know, I I think what I've come to learn is that we share a lot from a grassroots at the bottom of the pyramid level. We can gain so much from being in conversation and being a community when we commune with one another. 
as opposed to building these ladders of hierarchies that truthfully, you know, capitalism wants us separate and segregated. It's part of the reason why we do such a rigid job of creating segregated systems in Chicago so working people are not with one another. Because once working people get together, you begin to, one, have less of a fear of the other, but you also begin to strategize maybe ways to maintain a vibrant and radically diverse community environment. You said when you were living in, in, in Wicker Park and, and these changes started to happen around you, you didn't have the language for it. But now can you describe how that felt as you were sort of noticing from your peripheral vision, vision something's, something's shifting? Well, and, and also, you know, just seeing now this pattern repeat itself in cities across the country and cities around the world. You said you're from Detroit Mm -hmm. and to see what's happened in that city over the last 20 years, the last 10 years, this is not by happenstance that this is a intentional system pattern of development that is in part about the erasure of working people and about the erasure of working communities of color. Uh, And so I think when I look back at at the time that me and a crew, a very big crew and a, a very diverse crew of artists spent in Wicker, I, I felt like we were suckers in a lot of ways. You know, we were, I say in a poem that we were uh, canaries in the mine. We were chum in the water, you know, and, and we were a stage in a much more advanced, insidious process of global capitalism wreaking havoc in the lives of working people. I would love for you to read uh, one of your poems for us. It's called Give Us a Poem. Yeah, and this is uh, me wrestling with the poetics of Muhammad Ali. I am the last man standing, still work in the neighborhood, but can't afford to live in it. Everyone is gone or dead or ghost. What was ours is mine alone. I stalk the streets still uncertain who is we and who is me. That last part there, who is we and who is me, really stayed with with me. Because I think in in reading the book, you came into the neighborhood also asking that that question, and you're still asking it now. Yeah. I mean, of all the people I knew in the day, I mean, I still work in the neighborhood because YCA is still there, but everyone else has been forced out. And so I just, I, I really am left with wondering what that means. And I think I have some, I've learned some things about how to, uh, you know, try to help maintain the integrity of a neighborhood, but it's such a big, complicated, complex process that it isn't just about one person. It's about a community. It's about a city. I think for me, this book is trying to answer that or ask that question of us all is, you know, ultimately what kind of neighborhood, what kind of city what kind of country do we want to live in for real? I want to make sure that I mention the book is illustrated. Uh, Langston Alston does the illustrations uh, for the poems. Just talk about how that partnership worked. Yeah, and Langston is living in New Orleans, and so he's also uh, translating what he's seen in that you know rabid development that's happening there post Katrina, and uh, you know through through his lens. Uh, and he's a young, you know he's, he's two generations younger than I am, and he's twenty six or something like that. 
But I met him because he was doing a show in Humble Park and commenting on that process of change and gentrification. This is a few years ago. And when I met him, I was just struck by his portraiture. And, you know, I feel like there's an akin uh, aesthetic there. And so I, I knew that I was writing a kind of graphic novel and when I was starting to write this book. And I knew I wanted to, it to be illustrated. And so when I met Langston, I believe in synchronicity. And I just hit him up. I'm like, yo, you, you want to do this together? And he was down. So thankfully. Well, this conversation about gentrification and displacement in Chicago continues and in many cities. Where do you think the city is right now when it comes to the question of who gets to belong in certain spaces? Well, yeah, I think we continue to answer it in the same way we've always answered it. And, you know, who who is the most powerful? And, you know, we, we protect and value the elite. We protect and value those who have access to resources. And we don't really spend a lot of time ensuring that working people have a right to the, the public space and a right to the intimate space. Uh, and so to me, that is detrimental then to the overall health and life of a city is that, you know, it's working people, it's communities of color that created all this interest to draw all of the dollars back to the city and back to certain neighborhoods, but then inevitably those are the people who are forced out. And there is no coincidence that, you know, the erasure of a people who've been on the land is the nature of this city and is the nature of this country, that we've been doing this since white people came to this country and removed Native folks, Indigenous folks here. And, you know, in some ways we're doing a very similar thing. That's poet and educator Kevin Koval. His new collection of poems, illustrated by Langston Alston, is called Everything Must Go. It's available now through Haymarket Books. The official book release party is tonight at 6 at the Chop Shop at 2033 West North Avenue. Kevin, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you. And that's it for today's Morning Shift. Stay in touch with the show via Twitter. Look for at WBEZ Morning, and I'm at Jay White Pub Radio. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Let's talk again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.